Welcome to The Political Nomad. I'm your host, Josh Gillespie. Thanks for listening this week. This week, we're getting the second half of my conversation with Jacob Perry. I feel like we got into the real meat and potatoes of our conversation in this episode. I think you'll enjoy it. Here's part two. Well, the cool thing for me, though, is that I have since become pretty good friends with Stuart Stevens, the legendary consultant and writer and good personal friends. And he has told me, and I'm not going to share it on your podcast because I don't have permission, but he has told me multiple stories about the selection of Sarah Palin and the conversations that went on. And I I got, and and of course, because if you know, if your listeners are familiar with with the books and and the movie Game Change, Stuart was the key source for all of that. So uh, I have gotten a lot of the behind the scenes sort of insider dope. Um, and it's even yeah. funnier than you know. Oh, geez. I, I, that's, I'm going to have to check some of that stuff out. Okay, so um, so yeah, tell, tell me about, you know, kind of, in, in, kind of in a concise way, like <laughs> what has happened... What is what what has happened, you know, from 2004, where you're finally in the, you know, kind of within the Republican brand, to, you know, in 2004, you're still firmly in that Republican brand. You're getting members of Congress elected to the GOP, you know, to the House of Representatives, representing the Republicans, to where I think that where you are now is that you're in a similar position as me, where you're not claiming anything at this point as a party. That's fair. Yeah, so... Because, um... I mean, again, you, you've... If we go on that on that roller coaster, you've, you were raised a Democrat, you worked for Democrats, you read John Locke, that was your wow experience. You know? You worked for a couple of libertarians, you had book clubs with Republicans, you ran Republican races... And now you look at the field and it's just like, what happened? I think a couple things. And and so from 2008 until 2016, just for the listeners, um, I worked all over the country and I spent a lot of time traveling and and um, I worked everywhere from Vermont to Missouri to obviously Florida, of course. Um, yeah. Maryland, Ohio, Kentucky. Um, good Lord, I can't remember all of them. Um, and so I spent a good, I'm not good at math, but I guess four cycles all over the country. And, and Vermont Republicans are very different than South Florida Republicans. And Oh, yeah. And, get, and getting a real good education in sort of the, the breadth of you know, what used to be the breadth of, of views in the Republican Party. And um, for the benefit of listeners, because you know this, I was not a fan of the Tea Party. That was sort of the beginning of the end for me. And even though it took a while, that was sort of, if I look back at my divorce from the Republican Party, that's where it started, was yeah. um, I, I despise emotion in politics despise it. I feel like it's the it's the number one enemy to good governance is emotion and politics. And the Tea Party is nothing but emotion. There was no logic, there was no structure, there was no coherent belief system. It was just anger, we're pissed off and blah blah blah. And that really turned me off. As 
as, as one person we both know, uh, he labeled the Tea Party group the, the disaffected sons of Ross Perot. Yeah, I'll take that. I, I think there's some truth to that. So that was sort yeah. of the beginning for me. That's when I started feeling uncomfortable, you know, where I kind of was like, hmm, you know, don't know that I, I, I feel entirely at home here, but, you know, I got to work on some Florida races, got to work on a gubernatorial race, got to work on a couple second primaries, um, got to do some work with Marco Rubio, um, which is, you know, a whole episode of fun stories. Um, and, you know, ran some house races in South Florida and lost. And I kind of had reached the point in 2016 where I pretty much was done with this whole thing. I, did, I didn't really see the point anymore. Um, uh-huh. As you know, of course, I was vermently anti-Trump pretty much from day one. Um, uh-huh. I, I saw that con man coming a mile away. Um, and I kind of got the feeling that if, if this was going to be Trump's party, it's not my party. It's not something that I want to be part of. And so ironically... And again, I feel bad because you know most of this, but for the benefit of our listeners, um, or listener maybe, um, hi mom, um, <laughs> I uh, when I when I took over Brian's race, I didn't work for Brian in the primary, and I didn't work for Brian in the primary one because I hate primaries because primaries are just fratricide and it just is total bloodbath and it's ugly and it's nonsense. That's true. Yeah. It and, is. And, and even though I advised Brian. Um, and I was the one who actually called his victory literally to the, to the actual percentage point in the primary. Um, didn't actually work for him. And then two days after he won the primary, he called me and asked me to run his general election campaign, which I agreed to do. Um, and I, I did it under essentially two conditions. The first condition was we were not going to mention Trump. For the 11 weeks of the campaign, we were not going to mention Trump. And B... Under no circumstance was there ever going to be one single piece of Trump paraphernalia on my physical person, on my car, at my house, or in our office. We were going to run as if Trump did not exist. We were going to focus on our race and on local issues and nothing but. And uh-huh. much to my, and I kind of thought it was sort of a way to get out of it. I didn't think he was going to agree because Brian was a big Trumper. Brian had endorsed him in the primary, campaigned in the red hat. You know, loved loved yeah. him, Donald Trump, and um, he agreed. And um, so that's what we did. We ran a general election campaign in 2016 where we literally did not mention Donald Trump. We didn't have Trump merchandise in our office. Um, Trump was not mentioned on our phone scripts. Um, he was not in any of Brian's speeches. Um, we talked about the local environment. Lake Okeechobee, water issues, national economy, and that was it. That's what we talked about. That, that's interesting. That worked in that race. I mean, what what are the demographics in that district? Like, how did that break down? Because Florida was reasonably close. I mean, it wasn't like a recount state. And we outperformed but... Trump by two points in our district, so we got a pretty decent number of crossover votes. And I've always okay. been very proud of that. And part do of it you, was do you. It, do you equate that to the outperforming Trump in that district to not mentioning him so that you could yes. get that crossover vote? Because the district previously had been held by several terms by a, by a liberal Democrat. And the okay. district itself, and he left, he didn't run for election because he ran for Florida, the U.S. Senate. Um, mm-hmm. So it became an open seat. And so that district is actually very purple. 
And even though there's a registration advantage to Republicans um, in two of the counties, it's a three-county district, and two of those counties, the only primary action is it is on the Republican side, county commission, legislative races or whatever. And so most Democrats are actually registered Republicans so they can vote and they can play in the county, which in Florida, county commission races are huge. County commission races are very, very important. And so in D.C., you know, the, 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 the geniuses and experts at NRCC, because they do campaigns on a national scale and they look at maps and papers and they have no knowledge whatsoever of the local district, they will tell you, oh, there's a X number registration advantage for Republicans in the district, which is how Alan West got curb stopped because Alan West in that district ran a hard right red meat Republican campaign and got curb stopped because it's not yeah. a Republican district. Um, and so, and Brian wasn't from the district. He's a carpetbagger. He came from Broward County, which is, you know, 75 miles south. Um, didn't have any connections in the area, didn't have relationships, didn't, you know, whatever. So the only way you can, you can, and, and, and carpetbaggers are kind of a, a big Florida thing because everybody here is from somewhere anyway. And so we yeah. don't, we don't, we don't take offense to people moving into the district, unless you're Dan Bongino. Um, we don't take offense to people moving into the district and, and running because everybody, everybody who lives in the district is from somewhere else anyway. Yeah. And so um, focusing entirely on local issues was the way to demonstrate to people that Brian was the local choice. Whereas our yeah. opponent ran a national campaign, talked about Trump and Hillary and how horrible Brian was and whatever, and we beat him by 11 points. So, um, uh, and I'm very proud of that race. You know, you're talking in almost a $12 million race, um, error-free, outperformed all the all the projections and expectations. Um, and we did it by being obsessively local-focused and not talking about Trump. Um, but that's for me, I kind of I felt like at that point that was going to be the last... I kind of saw the writing on the wall, mm -hmm. and so I felt like that was probably going to be my last show, and so I wanted to go out with a bang, and I did. And so that's that's kind of how that's I wrap. That's a pretty it good up. way. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good way to wrap things up in terms of a a, a campaigning career. Now you've been courted a, a few times since then. Um, to to I I don't know if you're are you allowed to to speak sure. to, to some of yeah. those? I mean, sure, you. I mean, if we look at 2020, you were courted by uh, two presidential campaigns. Now, they were primaries to Trump. Um, and tell me about the about Bill Weld, and because you were courted by Bill Weld. I'm going to start off by saying that Bill Weld may arguably be the most fascinating person I've ever met in politics. He is extraordinarily intelligent, um, and just a remarkable human. And I could tell Bill Weld stories for the rest of the evening because uh, I just admire the hell out of that man. Um, but um, basically through Stewart, um, who was Bill's longtime consultant. In fact, yeah, I think I think Bill Bill's first gubernatorial race in Massachusetts, I think, was Stewart's very first campaign, if I recall. Oh, they go back. Yeah, so they do go all the way back. 25 years, whatever. They're super yeah. tight. Um, and I got a call from Stewart, basically, um, are you interested in working for Bill Weld? And I kind of was like, sure. I mean, I'll at least have the conversation because my, my respect for Stewart is such that I'll hear anything he has to say. Uh, Stewart yeah. is another remarkable human being. 
Um, and um, so there was a number of conversations. Um, his campaign, his he had a couple consultants, blah blah blah. And it got to the point where we we I actually had accepted a job originally as his comms director. That's where it started. Uh-huh. Um, and had agreed to terms and a contract and everything else. And I said, well, I need to spend some time with the governor just to make sure there's compatibility. Because at that point, I would have been the closest one-on-one staffer with the governor. I was going to be sure. a traveling aide. I was going to be, you know, writing for him, which is, as you know, is an intensely intimate experience. Oh, um, yeah. I needed to know his voice. I needed to know how he thought. I needed to know how he saw things. And so um, they flew me to New England, and I spent decent amount of time with the governor traveling around New England. Um, and it was a wonderful experience. I could tell stories about that the rest of the night. Um, and then they had to change the top and they, um, the campaign manager left and they offered the job to me. And the problem for me was as a comms director, I could still be based here at home. Yeah. Even with travel, I could still be home a decent amount of time and I could manage my own schedule as campaign yeah. manager. I needed to be in Boston and yeah. I wasn't willing to spend at that point. You're talking June, I believe it was. So you're talking eight, nine months of living in Boston, which I love Boston. I was my favorite city on earth, but um, you know, I have a wife and a son who's a freshman in high school. I wasn't willing to give up pretty much an entire year of school. Um, I love being a dad. It's the number one thing in my life. Um, and I wasn't willing to walk away from that to go work for Bill. And so yeah. um, I very regretfully turned it down. We're still on good terms. Um, in fact, we still communicate. Um, but that was a very difficult one to turn down. And then, God, it was just a couple of weeks, I think. Um, and you may actually remember better than I do. Uh, where... I literally got a phone call one night from Joe Walsh, just out of the blue. Um, I got a text message from a mutual friend who said, Joe has been asking around about you um, and might be interested in talking to you. Will you take his call? And I said, sure. I'll, I, have, I have a philosophy. I'll take pretty much anybody's call. Um, and so, I, just just, just let ahead. me interrupt you here real quick, just because I, I think it's fascinating. Um, and again, I know a lot of people, if, if, you, if, if, if you take the... The politics out of the situation. I mean, just in terms of incumbency and whatnot. Um, that you go from 2016 running a a house a successful house race, and you're like, I'm done. I'm I'm ready to you know I need to be at home. Need to be a dad. Need to you know need need to kind of start taking this part of my life, put it in the back seat. But four years later. You have two campaigns coming at you, two national campaigns. I mean, to me, that's mind blowing. I mean, just because, and I mean, you could you could look at it and be like, oh yeah, Bill, well, lesser tier. He's running against Trump. He was going to lose. Joe Walsh, yeah, lesser tier. He's going to, you know, he's going to lose against Trump. I mean, no one, no one's going to take is going to primary a sitting president and take him out. No, that just doesn't happen. But, you know. To have two campaigns, one being willing to do that, and and two for them each to contact you, literally weeks apart. Yeah, I, I think to it me, was. That 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 that's 
that's amazing to me. It was, and again, you know, because you know, because we are so close and we were talking, you know most of that story, but it yeah. was very head-turning and mind-boggling for me because I was I was sad about turning down Bill. I love Bill Well. I don't know if I've expressed that or not, but I just think the world, he is, <laughs> yeah. he is exactly who we talk about we want in a public servant um, in every definition. Um, and he's a really funny guy and a really interesting guy. Um, but so I kind of was sort of in mourning probably almost not being able to take that. And then Joe called and I looked at it as a very different opportunity. I looked at him as very different, you know, Bill was running a very new England centered spot regional campaign. Yeah. You know, yeah. Focusing on a handful of states. Indiana was one of them, ironically, uh, which is part of what their attraction to me was, is because I knew Indiana. Um, and in Virginia, there's a couple of states. Um, whereas Joe, and spoiler, you know all this, so I'm, I'm verging a territory that you, of course, know very well, where Joe was going to be more of a national media-only campaign. Whereas, yeah. whereas Bill had an actual campaign infrastructure, had ground teams and had staff and had a full-time office. And, you know, whereas Joe yeah, but, was more just media appearances and whatnot. Yeah. But the nice thing about the media appearances, and this is probably why you, you took the time to talk to him a little, was that that allows you to be home-based. Correct. If you're taking on. And that was the attraction. So, that was the only reason I was really willing I mean, here's the thing, and maybe maybe I'll help move the conversation along. For me, you know, I did not vote for Donald Trump. You, of course, know this. Um, I, I actually wrote in uh, Marco Rubio. Um, and I and I had turned down an opportunity to work on Evan McMullen race before I took the Brian race. Um, and I don't remember if you, if you knew that or not. Um, they wanted me I to didn't, work, actually. They, they wanted me to work on comms. Um, okay. And I turned that down. Um, and the biggest thing for me was I have a son who was somewhat interested in politics. Um, he, you know, is a page in the legislature. Um, mm -hmm. He has campaigned with me since he was four years old. And we, I was working for Tom Rooney in 2008 here in Florida. And he campaigned with me, went door to door with me, worked phone banks with me, you know, drove Tom around with me. He was in the back seat in his little car seat. Um, and the things that we teach in our house, and I know you are the same, which is why we're good friends, is honesty is the number one value. Honesty above everything else. We do not lie in my house, in this house, um, that the Perry name stands for something, um, and that racism is abhorrent. And I felt like it was an opportunity for me to set an example for my son to say, not only do we teach these values in my home, but I am willing to walk away from my career of 20 years to prove the point to you that this is how important it is to me, that I am not going to yes. be, I'm not going to take money from the, the Trump organization directly, indirectly, and believe me, it was there, and we're not going to talk about that tonight. Um, uh, I'm not going to be involved, you know, I live in the one state in America, which is very Trump-centric. Of course, he's now an official resident of my state. Um, the state party apparatus is controlled by Trump. He installed all of them. Um, 
And I want no part of any of that. I don't, I don't want to be affiliated with hatred, with ignorance, with, with this vile stain that Trumpism has brought onto American politics. And so for me, if I had the ability to, to, to put my values at work, you know, with Bill, with Bill and with Joe, then that's an even better representation example for my son. But at the very least, mm-hmm. we're not going to be a part of what Trumpism is. And so yeah. um, I think you asked this at the beginning. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of bringing this full circle for you. Um, I am still technically a registered Republican, mainly because I haven't bothered changing my registration. Um, I don't sure. really... I don't really see myself as a Republican. I don't go to Republican events. I don't, I don't socialize with Republican, you know, I don't go to the Lincoln day dinners. I don't go to the, you know, all the gatherings. I don't do the fundraisers. Um, um, and ironically what has happened is that has brought me full circle in the sense that I have in Florida have developed relationships with a lot of democratic office holders. Um, who have become good friends of mine. Now, we don't agree politically. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like some of these, you know, yeah, the, yeah. Never Trump, the Never Trump movement has basically become a circuit wing of the Democratic Party. Let's be honest. Okay, I'm going to say I'm going to say it out loud. I mean, they, they are essentially, they are campaigning openly for Democrats top to bottom, uh, which I find absurd. Um, that You know, the leaders of the Never Trump movement were literally campaigning for Andrew Gillum in the Florida gubernatorial race, which I find utterly abhorrent. A- Andrew Gillum is a socialist and a clown and not qualified or fit to be governor of Florida. And just because you don't like Trump doesn't mean you advocate for somebody who is just an utter, utter clown who's going to destroy my state. That's where I part ways with sort of the never Trump movement. Um, yeah. But I am not a Democrat, you know, and, and I often shock because most never Trumpers have become Democrats. And I get a lot of play on Twitter from the resistance crowd and Democrats I'm not one of them. I still believe the same things I believed when I picked up two treatises on government. Like my views have not changed. I am a fiscal conservative. I, I believe that, you know, that government which governs least governs best. You know, I believe that we need to balance our books. I believe, um, you know, I believe in a relatively strong foreign policy. However, I've become pretty liberal socially. Um, I don't care who people marry or who they have sex with. Um, I'm a big proponent of some form of legalization of drugs, uh, mainly from a criminal justice standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. You know, now you've that done a lot of state, work with cri- yeah, you've done a lot and, of and work with the criminal justice side of things. And I've gotten more involved in the last years as I've lived here, um, and it's become a passion of mine. Where, um, and this is where I think the Republican Party really has screwed itself because, you know, in Florida, the Republican Party is the Law and Order Party because my state essentially exists so rich white people can come down and retire. Like, like Florida basically is British tourists coming over to Disney and taking cruises and, you know, the, the Miami crowd, which we don't consider Miami part of Florida. Um, and then basically our economy, our entire economy is, is oriented towards retirees. And they're predominantly uh, white and at least upper middle class at the very least. And so because of that, our sheriff's departments are very large and very well-funded. Our jails are very large and very well-funded. Um, we have extensive privatization of our, of our 
uh, criminal justice facilities here in Florida, um, which is a big scam, by the way. Um, you know, you're going to pay $100 a, a night to lock a kid up in a private facility, but you're only going to spend 20 bucks a night to, to lock him up in some shithole jail. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Why don't you take the 100 bucks and build an actual jail? Like, our, our state facilities don't have air conditioning, for example, in Florida. Seriously? Seriously. Everybody in the criminal justice system will tell you, if you if you get sentenced, you want to do private time, and that's what they call it. I want to do private time because the private jails have air conditioning, they have comfortable beds, they have TVs, they have educational facilities. The state facilities, it's 1940, bro. And so, wow, that's a passion of mine, and it's a passion of mine when you look at, you know, these young black kids who get caught with a dime bag of pot in their in their jeans pockets. And in Florida, it's a very, at least until recently, it's a very minuscule amount of, of narcotics. Autom- it's an automatic felon. It's a mandatory sentence. It's not even, there's not even discretion on, on the part of the judges. And as you may or may not know, but your listeners may not know, felon means not only can you not vote, although we sort of have fixed that. We're not going to talk about that tonight. Um, you can't get a student loan for school. You can't join the military it cuts off pretty much every federal avenue, you know, mortgages, et cetera, et cetera, as a convicted felon. So you take a, an 18, 19 year old kid with a very small amount of narcotics who now their life, where are they going to go? Where are they going to go work? They can't join yeah. the military. They can't get a student loan. They can't go to college. They can't go to technical school or trade school, by the way, because it includes yeah. that. What are they going to do? That's, insan- That's insanity. You, you, you seem to get a little fired up. I mean, it's a passion of mine. It's something yeah. that, because it's, it's happened to family members of mine. It's happened to people who are close to me who I've witnessed it. And and because I come from where I come from, it has affected my family and my circle and people I know and love because we yeah. are working class from the hood. You know, no yeah. offense any, sorry, but we are. And so that's where we come from. And so it, it's, a, it's a, and, and it, because now I no longer feel tied to part, to pair any party line I can be honest about where I come from and so I built a lot of friendships and relationships with with people on all sides of the political spectrum because I can sit down with the most liberal democrat from South Florida you know I'll pick on I'll name Chef Jones representative Chef Jones from Broward County actually represents basically neighborhood I grew up in in Broward County um, who I don't know if Chev agree and I, uh, he and I agree on more than one or two things. Um, he's very opposite of me politically. And yet, mm-hmm. not only is he just a remarkably good human being, we have common ground on criminal justice reform. And so that's an yeah. issue that I can work with Chev on and help, you know, help uh, whip up some votes and some behind the scenes support off, you know, not paid because I'm not a registered lobbyist. Um, it's a hobby of mine. Um, and, and it has freed me up to be involved in some of those kinds of things. And I have to worry about, you know, having to toe the party line, right? And, yeah. and you and I both know people who've had to make that choice uh, for career reasons. And I don't have to. And so because yeah. of that, I'm sort of this it's weird freeing. mix of. It's very freeing. And I'm this very weird mix of there are things that I support the Republican Party on um, and, and, and give them credit. Um Trump has accidentally nominated a whole bunch of, of very good judges. Actually, he hasn't. Mitch McConnell has. Um, 
And, and I give him credit for that. I think I think we have fundamentally remade the the federal judiciary, and that needed to happen, quite frankly. Um, but at the same time, the the Trumpist uh, economic policies are just an absolute disaster. Um, oh yeah. You know the 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 racist and xenophobic. You know we hate every country on earth except Russia, ironically. Um, you know the the we basically have now quit on everybody in the Middle East, so we have no no allies in the Middle East anymore because we've told our allies in the Middle East that we'll support you until our president wakes up one morning and tweets something, and suddenly now we can't you know we can't help you anymore. Um, and, and so there are things that I that I would absolutely back the Democratic Party on. Um, you know education. Frankly, the Republican Party has been absent on education. The Republican Party has been absent on 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 criminal justice issues. The Republican Party, we have a fundamental need to to reform the infrastructure in this country. Mm-hmm. And, and, and 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 tax cuts every year are not going to pay for rebuilding the roads and the railroads and the airports and the things that we need to have done. Um, so the Republican Party is wrong in those things. And so I am able to call those things out. But I'm going to tell you. Not a very popular person anymore, as you know. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Uh, I, call, I, I get. My calls don't get returned anymore. You know, I I don't. You know, I don't get. I don't get the uh, private tours of the Capitol Dome anymore like I used to. You know, I don't. I don't. You know what I'm saying? Um, oh yeah. No, I do. But I'm going to be mean, and I'm going to teach my son um, about eth- about ethical behavior and living your life in a certain way, and why that matters. I appreciate that you actually answered a question that I didn't even have to ask, which was, how are you approaching politics these days? And I feel like I'm tangentially involved. Um, I probably have gotten more involved in legislative issues. You know, the state level, of course, I live in the state capitol. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are in the legislature. You know, I have, I have, gosh, I probably have 10 or 12 personal friends who are in the legislature. Some of whom I knew before they were elected, um, and so it's easy for me to. And some I've met since and have become good. And I've become listen. I've become some good friends with some hardcore Trumpers too, um, yeah. and people who I have you know I have tremendous respect for. Um, we just don't agree on Trump, so we don't talk about yeah. Trump. So the the nice thing is that you're able to. You're not having to play sides. You're actually able to play issues. Like you're able to focus on the things that are important. I have a super close friend who's running for uh, county school board, and so I've been able to help him out on a, on a volunteer basis. And I was actually talking today; he was on the radio today, talking to him about, you know, messaging and scripting and how to answer questions and whatever, um, because I don't have to worry about making a living at it anymore. And so, because yeah. of that, I'm able to kind of be who I want to be and focus on things that I care about and things I don't care about. I don't have to pay attention to. Yeah. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, I've learned some new things about you tonight, which I did not know. Which, again, after 16 years, it's good to know that I can still learn things about you, Jacob. I appreciate that. Um, But, you know, as I like to say on all my podcasts, a good road trip deserves a good playlist. Yeah, you already know where I'm going. I don't even know where I'm Oh, I do. But I just want to point out, if you didn't notice... Yes. Gainesville's finest, right yes. behind me. Yes, Mr. Mr. Tom Petty, R.I.P. Um, absolutely. So, who outside? I'm guessing there's going to be some yacht rock 
on this list. Probably a lot of y'all. Right? Uh, um, I've actually uh, been thinking about you lately because I, uh, I've been listening to some Toto. And I, only have I actually, off. I well, no, you did rub off on me. It's just I, I've taken a long break from Toto. Um, back in the '90s, uh, my brother's ten years older than me, and back in the '90s, right. my brother had purchased uh, a greatest hits of Toto that I cannot yeah. find on any Spotify or Apple Music or anything like that. It's it, but it, it was a greatest hits that he then put on cassette for me, right. and I remember nearly wearing that tape out. Um, but I haven't listened to Toto in a long time, and then it came up one day on this on this list that I was listening to, and it was "Hold the Line." Yeah, and I love that song. Which is I've an underrated track. It's a gross. It actually track. It is. So I added it to my running playlist. Um, but what what songs? And again, I can assume Toto, but I don't want to, you know, I don't know which Toto songs. I mean, you could you could surprise me and throw Georgie Porgy on the list. Okay, um, that's one of my favorites. So I'm gonna I'm gonna plug in a couple things. So I am, again, my dad, who, um, my dad, and I won't get into the story. You know some of the story, my personal story. Um, yeah. My dad is immensely important to me, and he and I are super close. Mm-hmm. And I actually got a little a little emotional. Um, my dad is a big jazz fan. Uh, my dad was yeah. big. My dad was big. So when I was four or five years old, my dad is a huge music fan. So I get my music from my dad. Um, mm-hmm. And my dad had a massive stereo set up and everything when I was a kid. Um, he's a huge audiophile. Um, so my dad was big on uh, Steely Dan was a big one. George Benson yeah. was a big one. Uh, Bob Skaggs was a big one. Um, and Toto. Uh, yes, he was huge on Yes. Uh, he loved Huey Lewis. In fact, he had seen Huey Lewis in the news live out in Northern California back in his wandering days. Um, so that's what I grew up on. And I love jazz, still do. Um, love Steely Dan. Love, you know, eh, Boss Gags. Eh, you got to have to live a taste for him. But yeah. what I didn't know until much later was that all those groups I mentioned, including George Benson, the mm-hmm. the tie-in is Toto. So I don't really? even, I don't know if you even knew this. Toto actually was formed as the road band for Boss Gags. No way. Correct. His his big I can't remember the title. Whatever the gigantic album that Boss had in seventy seven seventy eight, um, most of that album was written by David Page of of of, of Toto. And Paige hmm. and Jeff Picaro, who was the original drummer of, of Toto, were the were the musical directors for Boz. And like I said, David huh. wrote most of that album. Um, and when they went to go out on the road, they needed Rhodes musicians. And so um, the Picaro brothers, Jeff and Steve and Mike, had gone to high school with Steve Lukather. Um, and so they brought Lukather in the band so Lukather was the guitar player. In fact, you can watch old. We're totally getting the weeds, but you know, you know me. You can watch <laughs> old Boss. You can find old Boss Gags uh, concert clips on YouTube, and it's mm-hmm. totally behind him. Um, and so, coming off of that tour, they then were offered a record deal by CBS or Columbia, wherever it was, and they became yeah. Toto. And they created that first album, which wasn't the big album, by the way. Mm. Um, first album was Georgie Porgy and Hold the Line. Hold the Line was their big number first number one single. Um, and 
what you may or may not know is that you can name an 80s rock group and we can play this game all night uh, and I don't mean hard I don't mean like the LA you know like the Guns N' Roses and and and, and Poison yeah. or whatever but um, at least one member of Toto played on pretty much every album in the 80s and it probably was either Jeff Ricardo the drummer or Steve Lucas, like a guitar player, who has played on literally thousands of tracks. He has like the oh. world record, like not even joking. Um, He's uh the the thing about Lukather. I, I watched this this uh, documentary. I've watched it twice, um, and it's about sidemen or studio guys. Yeah, I think and, I and, and talking about. And Lukather is prominently featured in that. And I'm like, how can this guy be a side session he guy when he was in every- Toto? They, but they all did because what they what I they know, found that's... out was Picaro. So the Picaro brothers, three of whom were in in Toto, um, two of them have since passed. R.I.P. Um, um, their father was a studio musician. He was a, a percussionist, and so that's how they learned the business. Jeff Picaro was a studio musician full time at 16, and so oh, wow. that's how they learned the business. And so for a long time. It was more lucrative to be a studio musician than it was to be a touring musician. But now it's come full circle. It oh, is again. Yeah. But it was yeah. then. And so they made more money playing on four or five tracks a day because Jeff Porcaro was known as one track Jeff. Jeff was a guy walk in, bam, lay the track down, we're done. See you next, move on to the next one, play. They could do four or five tracks in a day. And you're a musician, you know what that means. Yeah, um, yeah. To the point where where um those three guys I probably mentioned were the house band on Thriller, which a lot of people don't realize. Yeah, that's the thing is that I thought that was Eddie Van Halen mm-hmm. uh, was, playing on that Luke. album, and I come to find out it was Lukather, and I was, was like, Luke. "Holy cow!" And, and that Human is Nature, Human Nature, which was a big cutoff of that album, was written by Steve Picaro, and it was originally mm-hmm. written for Toto. It's a funny story. You know me. Like our listeners who don't know me are like, "What the hell is this guy babbling about?" You don't realize this, these, are, these are our normal phone conversations that you and I have. Um, yeah. Steve Picaro wrote Human Nature for Toto, and um, Steve is, is the is the synthesizer keyboard player on, on Toto. Um, yeah. And um, wrote that song for for Toto, and then they were in a fight. He was pissed off that the previous album he hadn't gotten. Uh, I think he'd gotten one cut on the album, and he was pissed off, and they were feuding. And he had the demo for Human Nature while they were doing uh, they were doing uh, Thriller, and they all were in the studio all at the same time doing Thriller, uh, and Randy Hungate as well, the bass player, the original bass player from Toto, and Mike Picaro, who was the second bass player for Toto, um, and Steve. The story goes, Steve had the demo and it was laying around, and Quincy Jones picked it up and played it and loved it and said, what are you doing with this? And Steve was like, I wrote it for Toto, but F those guys, do you want it? And he's like, yeah. And he played it for Michael. Michael loved it. And the joke is, Steve has made more money off of that one signal than he made anything he ever did for Toto. Um, <laughs> and and um, But they are, you know, people who, 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 who think Toto is Africa is kind of unfortunate because... It is. That song, that's the song that the band universally hates, ironically. Um, well, it that that seems to come... I mean, when a band becomes known for one song, when they have such a rich history, they actually... Yeah, I get... The, 
musically and melodically, they are much more of a rock. And you, I'm, I'm so glad you said hold the line. Hold the line is much more Toto than Africa. It, 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 it is. As that sounds. It is. So, I mean, okay. So... And even Rosanna. Rosanna is a brilliant, brilliantly crafted, you know, music piece. Okay. So I'll say this about Rosanna, and I know we've totally gone off the rails on, oh, on Toto here, but that that's okay. I haven't finished um, yet, so we're still we're still good. There you go. But so when Weezer, you know, a couple of years ago came out with their Toto covers, obviously Africa was the one that that took off because it's Africa. But they also covered Rosanna, which they yes. released first. Yes. And I thought that cover was infinitely better. It was correct. Then. Than their than their cover of of uh, uh, of 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 Africa, and I'm just like, holy cow! Can we get Weezer to cover a whole album of Toto songs? Because once yes. that'd be pretty amazing. I think they do a great job, but just because they did so well with Hold the Line or no, with Rosanna, I was like, this this is the killer track. But everyone's going to focus on Africa, which is unfortunate. But Rosanna is the killer track. And, and, and they will tell you, because I've heard them all say this in interviews, that Rosanna is emblematic of who they are as a band. As far as how it's crafted, how it's played, you know, the melodies, the time changes, the structures. It's a mm-hmm. brilliant song. It's an absolutely brilliant song. And there's a reason why those guys were the top studio musicians in the business for 10, 12 years because oh, yeah. they're musicians. And if you listen to them live, and and, 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 I, and this is where I come in because I'm such a music nerd, I won't start listening to a band unless I can listen to them live, unless, like, unless I can find a live track or something because you and I have both done enough production work that we know what can be cleaned up and what can be tightened. And I want to know if someone there, can actually there's, play there... Yeah, there there is a there's a line in a Ben Fold song. Actually, it's in it's in Rock in the Suburbs, uh, which sadly came out on 9/11. Mm. Um, that was his first solo album, and it came out in 9/11. But there's a line in the song Rock in the Suburbs, which I have used with my cousin, who is who is currently uh, pr- producing, engineering, and mixing my album. Um, but it still rings true, and the line is some producer with computers fixes all my crappy tracks. Correct. Well, there was a... Uh, Steve Lukather got on got on trouble on Twitter a few months ago because he, he made the comment, because they just finished a tour, and it was their 40th anniversary tour, and, and it, there's an album out, there's 40 tours around the sun plug in for, for Toto, and if you listen to it, they are tight. They are tight. They don't miss a note. They don't miss a change. Nobody's offbeat. There's nothing loose in the tracks. And mm-hmm. he said... We go to festivals and we blow these kids' minds because we don't have a laptop on stage. We get up there and we play, and they don't understand it. That's that's actually been kind of a funny thing that I've seen at, at uh, a few concerts I've been to a few uh, over the last few years. I saw Portugal the Man um, in 2018. I think it was 2018, and Portugal the Man doesn't do a lot of stage banter. But they are a very tight band. But what they do is they project messages on the screen behind them. And one of the, one of the messages that they had was, hey, kids, there are no computers on this stage. Yes. Literally. And so... 
I can tell this is not going to be a YouTube interview. No. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say for our guests who are listening what just happened, but I know I just, what just I happened. I have to get more comfortable. My back is killing me. This chair. This it's okay. It, I've it's been leaning okay. back in this chair for so long. I started having spasms. Uh, I get it. It's okay, man. Uh, the, the last thing I'll say in regards to Toto, and, and we, then we can move on, but is uh, some the, the hardcore Toto fans will know this. Uh, I don't think a lot of people who will actually know this, but the song 99 was yes. written about 99 from Get Smart. Correct. Of course, a lot of people who are listening to this may not know about the show Get Smart, which was a hilarious show in the, and the 60s and the early whole, 70s. They did the whole Dune soundtrack for the movie. Oh, the original Dune? Mm-hmm. 80, oh, I'm going to have to check that 84, out. 83, 84, something like that. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Anyway, so at, how are, you know... Just we'll wrap it up here. Do you have anything else that you want to add to your uh, to your road trip list? Um, probably Bruce Hornsby. He's my Bruce? other. Oh, that's my other favorite. I've seen him live probably a dozen times. I have twenty or thirty live albums of his that I play constantly. He's just an absolute, just an absolute genius. Just an incredible musician. Dude, that's this is this is gonna be a really fun playlist to put together. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna find some good stuff here. And it's uh, long, Jacob, like, and I'm and I'm not talking way it is. I'm talking like Long Valley Road. I'm talking like some of that kind of stuff because way it is, way it is is overdone, and it's kind of become a almost a cliche. But Long Valley Road, um, a lot of more early, you know, your earlier Bruce Horns being the range stuff. Gotcha. Uh, and then his, his noisemaker. He's, he's been on tour with the noisemakers for the past five or six years. And it's just, just a lot of, you know, the thing about Bruce Hornsby is um, they don't have a set list when they play shows. They freelance. Oh, wow. And he takes wow. requests. He, his whole show is requests. And he will play anything. Doesn't have to be his. He will play anything. You can go up there and, and, and you literally pass slips of paper up to, I mean, I've seen him live six or seven times. And, and he amazing. doesn't blow it. He goes through the whole basket. Like, he doesn't cherry pick. And he'll play anything. He will play anything. Wow. That's and it's incredible. good. That is, and, it, and the band doesn't know what he's doing. And he he, <laughs> he he freelances the songs. He doesn't play the song, the same song, the same way twice. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can listen to two albums, two live albums of his, and the same song is completely different on, on both. Um, because the song is just jam sessions. And um, so... Yeah. Most of Bruce Hornsby, I can do most of Toto. There was an early '90s period where I, I, I kind of like don't really care for their stuff. They kind of went off yeah, the rails yeah. a little. But Toto 14 is a brilliant album. It's their last studio album. Um, it's a brilliant album, grossly underrated. Uh, of course, everybody knows Toto 4, which I think won seven Grammys. I believe it was seven or eight Grammys. Um, brilliant album. Total one, the first total album is brilliant. Um, the seventh one is brilliant. Um, I mean that that'll that'll get us a pretty long way down the road. Yeah, it will. Yeah, it will. It will. Well, but, Jacob, I I want to thank you so much for being on this week, and I I, I thank you for God going against anybody who is still listening. I just you know I just <laughs> want to say God bless 
If you are listening to my voice right now, I love you. Also, hi, Mom. Yeah. Now, you, you, this has been a pleasure. I love that, again, I can I can talk with someone I have known for a good portion of my life and still learn things. Um, and and you have you've had quite we haven't even honestly you know hit the iceberg i mean dug even below the iceberg on on what has been your story <laughs> i mean we <laughs> we literally we literally could go on all night yeah there's no statute uh, there's no statute of limitations on some of that stuff so yeah. <laughs> uh so again i want to thank you for for being on uh where can they find you on twitter if they if they really wanted to follow you and see how you deal with people who think you're on their side and then you flip the script on them um i believe i am at the jacob perry um i used to be at jacob perry and then well you've had you've had fits and starts with twitter i had a technical screw up and twitter stole my handle um so i believe i am the jacob perry um and um you know, I try to keep a mix of things. I don't just tweet politics. I tweet comedy. I tweet music. Um, I tweet sports. I'm a big sports fan. Um, oh, shoot, we didn't even get into the into your the, your comedy writing. Uh, yeah, that, I, again, we're, you know, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to. Well, you probably totally gonna have to have another show. So you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, the well, contract sent me was for four was for four episodes. So. <laughs> Shoot, did you sign that? I don't know if I turned that into the lawyer. Anyway. Dude, I spent that I, money I, already, so that check better clear. Oh, crap. All right, man. I want to thank you for being on the show this week. I love you, man. I appreciate your friendship. No, I, I love you, too, I, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, and obviously, I always wish you nothing but the best and uh, for continued or for some success. Um, I, I want to thank Maybe one day. <laughs> One one day. Uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in this evening. Uh, as always, be sure to follow the Political Nomad on the socials, uh, facebook.com slash the Nomad Pod, and at the Nomad Pod on Twitter. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, the Nomad News. It's the only place you can get access to the Political Road Trip playlist for every show, including the one for this show, where you will hear a lot of good yacht rock and classic rock and some jazz. Um, so you can only you can sign up for that at joshgillespie.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Jacob listens on Google. Um, so again, my thanks to my friend uh, and political compatriot Jacob Perry for being on the show this week. You've been listening to the Political Nomad. This is Josh Gillespie. We'll see you again next time. <laughs>